When I was first writing this sermon, I, I, I wrote this, this question, have you ever been called a hypocrite? And explain that, you know, that term is one of the most common epithets used towards someone who claims to be religious, Christian, or moral. And I've been called a hypocrite. I don't know if you have at any point in your life. Um, and, and what I find is, Josh has, we can always count on Josh. I'm trying, trying to train him, Josh, in the liturgy, the call and response, and get transfer over into the sermon, right? It, the fact is, it can be really difficult to integrate the parts of ourselves, the parts that people see and, and, and the ways that we contort ourselves to fit what we, what we think people want to see and then who we are the rest of the time. And that's kind of what a hypocrite is. So what are the results of that? If we live this type of disintegrated life for a long period of time where we have one persona that may be for public, for work, and other places, and then we have who we really are, and those things don't go together, what is the impact of that type of life over a long period of time, and how could we change? If that's all we know, if that's the only way we've known to operate, can we change? Is there hope for change? And so this sermon is about that, but also I found in myself uh, this week as, as more and more news came out about what's happening to the people in Gaza, it's also about this relationship between hypocrisy and a, a sort of a national perspective. Because see, this is not, in this passage, Micah is not primarily talking to individuals, but to institutions. And so we have to reckon with both, because I heard somewhere recently that we get the politicians that we deserve. And not only that, but this text talks a lot about prophets and priests and people like that. And those that have the loudest, biggest messages can only do so if people endorse them, if people support that type of message. So there really is no way to separate our individual lives of hypocrisy or integrity and the lives of the institutions that we support, belong to, are connected to. And so I was writing this, and while I was writing this, the death toll was going up in Gaza. We're now over 9,200 people have been killed in Gaza. Most all of them have been civilians. And 3,200 plus were babies, were children. 
And this conflict's been going on for about a month now, and uh, really it's been going on for over 100 years in Palestine. But this most recent conflict started when a terrorist group called Hamas uh, killed 1,400 Israelis. They broke through a border, and that border has a lot of significance in Israel, and they killed 1,400 Israelis and kidnapped over 200. Uh, as, as, the, as this became real to me, does that ever happen to you where you see the news, you see, you see a headline, and you're like, man, it's another terrible thing. And then, and then you see it again, and, and you start looking at it more, and you realize the, the substance of this, the degree to which this conflict is having an impact on so many lives and, and even the world. And as this happened, it weighed me down. It weighed me down further and further. And there were some things that I saw, um, some video that I saw, some footage that it just keeps replaying in my mind of these lifeless children's bodies in rubble being, being picked up and, and taken out of it. And the... The, one of the reasons why I think this is so important to talk about in Christian churches in the United States is because this has to do with Israel. And there's this sort of narrative about Israel, this Zionist sort of mindset. And what it does sometimes for a portion of the country is it makes the actions of a government above critique, and that is extremely dangerous. And we as human beings are so prone to doing that, to allowing someone or something to get to a point where it becomes so sacred to us that it can no longer be critiqued. And when we get to that point in our lives, we have lost an important battle. Thankfully, this book, this Bible that we have, it has records of people like Micah saying things, speaking truth to power, to the very powers that have the ability to bring healing and to bring harm to the same powers that were by this same book imbued with divine authority, we have a tradition of prophets standing flat-footed against those royal, uh, those, those, uh, those royal institutions, those powers, and saying, you are in defiance of justice and of the living God. This book, this, this Bible, it both sanctions Something, it both sanctions the type of activity happening in Gaza right now, and it also um, condemns it. And so when we think about and we look at our response as Christians, as Christ followers, it must be centered around the ethic of love and justice and mercy that Jesus gives us. And Jesus gives us a pathway to integrity, to live a life where we are not separate, where we are not hypocritical within ourselves or within the governing bodies, but that we can find integration. 
And it starts with messages like the message of Micah, calling out the two-facedness of whatever it may be, whether it be you and what you do at two in the afternoon and 2 a.m. or what a nation says it's about and does for certain people in their own country, but doesn't treat other people elsewhere the same way. Are you with me? Do you follow me? So in verse five, the prophet Micah says, this is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Another translation says, but declare war against those who put nothing in their mouths. So, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. If you don't scratch my back, hey, you better watch out. Prophets are supposed to be truth tellers. Prophets are supposed to say, what is the word from God? When the truth becomes so plastic, so malleable, that it can be shifted and changed in order to gain some type of material or strategic advantage, we're in big trouble. Whoever that we is, is in big trouble. For me personally, I feel that if I stop speaking about the effects on the poor, the disenfranchised, the minorities, that I have compromised truth to make a more palatable message, that, that there could be more people that will come in with more money if they don't have to hear about maybe that the sources of their wealth, of their, their position, their status in life might be a little bit suspect. And this is something, this is, this is something I, I, I learned in ministry it's a well-worn phrase that says, uh, whatever you catch people with, you got to keep them with. So if you say, well, I'm going to keep what I have to say in this relationship very palatable or just always real encouraging and inspiring, then you'll attract those types of people the people that want to hear that. Or if I say, I want to make my messages real clear, us and them all the time, you'll attract those kind of, you'll attract rageaholics. You feed people something, they become addicted to it, and then if you try to change course, guess what? They'll leave. Or, or even worse, joyaholics. People that never want to hear anything hard or sad or difficult. And there's plenty of churches you can go to where that's the message. And if you ever stop giving them that fix, they leave. They take their money, their presents, their gifts, and they go somewhere else. And I wonder if you ever avoid telling someone the truth because you might lose something that's valuable to you. If you might lose a job or you might think you might lose a relationship and so you tiptoe around something, some giant 
explosive thing that could tear so much down, but you refuse to speak about it because you're afraid you'll lose something valuable to you. Probably not. Verse six, therefore night will come over you without visions and darkness, without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. I find this so enlightening, as ironic as that is with these verses, that word. Uh, that the prophets are so good at pointing out. What I hear Micah saying is, if you refuse to acknowledge the truth, then your sensitivity to it dulls. If you get so used to living in the darkness of your self-serving hypocrisy, then when you step out into the light, you won't be able to see. You ever felt like that? You ever felt so confused about life and what you were supposed to do? You've ever felt so disintegrated from yourself? You didn't know who you were because you were constantly changing masks and changing faces and you're so exhausted and life just doesn't make sense? There's a, um, a writer, Tenahasi Coates. He wrote... Many books, and he's a journalist, and he wrote um, a, a National Book Award uh, book in, I think, 2016 called Between the World and Me. And he's a black man. And I was, uh, I was listening to an interview of his this week because he, he spent some time in Gaza for a literary festival. And he was talking to the interviewer, and he said, when I went there, what I was expecting is that this was gonna be really complex and complicated because that's what I'd always heard. And that's what uh, the media and the politicians had always expressed this idea, that the conflict there was just so complex and so difficult to discern. And I was right there with him because I'm like, that's, that's what I've been, that's what I thought. I thought I couldn't even possibly understand the complexity of these geopolitical events going on here and the history of it. And he said, when I got there, what I was most surprised by, he said, the most shocking thing was how uncomplicated it is. He said, when I got there, I instantly saw something that was immediately familiar to me. I saw that there was segregation, that Palestinians couldn't vote, and that Israelis could. I found that our guide said, you can go down that street and check it out as a tourist. I have to stay here. I can't go through this checkpoint. And he found that when he went through a checkpoint, he was asked, what religion are you? And he said, well, I'm, I'm not really religious. You have to be, you have to have a religion. What's your religion? I don't got one. What about your parents? Well, they're not really religious either. Okay, what about your grandparents? Well, my grandma was Christian. Okay, you can go through the checkpoint. He said all of these things were immediately 
familiar to him, that what was at work was segregation and apartheid, that there were different levels of class of citizens, and that the Palestinians, what the Palestinians wanted was freedom. They wanted liberation. But when truth becomes so malleable, when it becomes so self-serving and able to be adjusted and moved around, things that, are, can, that, that could really be very simple become overly complex. I've had things like that in my life. I've had things that because I, I didn't want the light of truth to shine on it, I had to stumble around in the dark. And so a place, a room, an area that would otherwise easily be able to be navigated was now a really hard, confusing place to be. In verse eight, it says, Micah says, but as for me, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might. I love the first part of that. I wish you would just stop there. Like, that's awesome. You're filled with power and, and the spirit of the Lord. Like this is gonna turn around here. But then the second part of the verse says, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. There's a lot of, there's a lot of inspirational spiritual talk out there in our country, especially where you can, get, you can get all the good stuff from God and you don't have to do anything hard with it. You just get to like kill it in life and just make more money and just get bigger houses and just do all this awesome stuff. You know, it's prosperity gospel. You guys know what I'm talking about. But here the prophet Micah says, I'm filled with the spirit of God, with justice and with might to call out hypocrisy, to call out injustice. And here's something that I've learned in my 40, almost 41 years, my birthday's coming up this month. Few, oh my gosh, it's in two weeks. I know, I still haven't had my 40th birthday party. I'm gonna have it before I'm 50. <laughs> Promise you that. And it's, it's gonna be a rager, all right? Because it's going to be at least an extra five years in there. So I'm going to put this up. Here's what I've learned in that time. I've learned that, um, that there are really scary things to have to do in life to move from hypocrisy to integrity. And in the, in the lectionary last week, or maybe it was this week, is the text where... Um, the priests, and I find all of this ironic, but the priests were entering into the promised land and they had to step into a river while the river was moving. And when they stepped into the moving river, the water backed up into a pile. It was, it's this week's. And that is such a brilliant vision illustration of what Micah is talking about here. That if you want to live a life of faith, then that doesn't just mean praying, worshiping, or even if you give some money to a church, hopefully you give some to our church because you go here, or another nonprofit or something like that, like go to the Micah thing after this, go to the Micah um, brunch at two. Um, it's in your bulletin. But it also means 
It also means that there will come times in your life where the difference between a horrible tragedy happening and justice being restored is you being willing to speak up and hoping and having faith that the courage comes once you step into that current. Y'all hear me? That if every one of us was willing to step into those currents, then the politicians we deserve would be different. Amen? The church leaders who shape and shift the cultures in our country would be different. And here's why I'm afraid to do that sometimes. Because I'm afraid of being a hypocrite. Well, I'm gonna call them out, but I don't have it all together in my own life. Who am I to say something about this? I don't live up to all these things myself. Y'all with me? You ever had that thought? I can't say anything about this. I do X, or I did X, or I said this, or you know, maybe, who knows, maybe I would have done the same thing in that situation. I got good news. That's not what being a hypocrite's about. That doesn't, that's, that's not a hypocrite. When we, because here's why, because we all have blind spots. We are all sinners in need of grace and mercy. But here's what happens. When we are addressed, just like Micah is addressing this issue, when somebody says to us, you are acting unjustly, you are failing to be compassionate and merciful. It's at that moment we get to decide, are we going to reclaim a part of who God made us to be, or are we going to continue to be divided within ourselves? When those moments come and we say, blah, 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 here's all my excuses, that's when we're hypocrites. We all need to be called out. We all need to say, what you just did hurt. It was harmful. And when we can get to the point in our lives where maybe we hear that, maybe we're even defensive at first, but at some point we can come back and say, thank you. Now we are living, we are moving towards a life of integrity and wholeness. And this is why, this is why our country can spend $14.3 billion, that's what's on the docket, I don't know if it's been passed or not yet, to aid Israel, to give them bombs and tanks, to blow up civilians in Gaza. Because we have never reckoned with our own story. We have never reckoned with our own lack of integrity as a country. You see, when, when you live in that divided space, you don't just lock away the bad things that you did. You also lock away your compassion, your ability to empathize. Because what's hidden What's hidden along with the things that you have done that you do not want to acknowledge, what's hidden there is forgiveness and grace and mercy for you and for the wounded person inside of you that made that decision out of, out of some kind of resentment. And so while you think all you're doing is denying 
or keeping at bay the bad things that you've done or the hurtful things that you've done. It's also the key that you're locking away to your compassion and your empathy. Every secret that we keep, every secret that we have about the wrong that we've done to another person is also hidden in that same exact space. The compassion and empathy that you need to live an integrated and godly life. And until we have more and more access to that as the people of God, we will continue to support violent leaders who only want peace when somebody's putting something in their mouth. So you can't have good theology without compassion. You cannot think well of the God that Jesus shows us in his incarnation without compassion and empathy, which means some of us have to do some dreadfully scary work and look back on things in our life that we don't wanna look back on and wait and see if there is compassion and mercy and grace for us because then it will become available to others. Otherwise, we just make more us's and them's, more us's and them's. And you know who's showing this so, so well right now? I've seen different places in the country and in the world Jewish people, ethnically Jewish people protesting against the Israeli government's actions. They are, are doing die-ins in, in intersections and in subways and they're, and, and they're holding up signs. See, so many people right now, including our senators and stuff, they're, they're terrified. They're terrified of losing their, their connection in the Middle East, their de democratic connection, because Israel is the only democracy. But they're also scared of being called an anti-Semite, regardless of if they really are or not. It's the optics of it. And yet here we have ordinary Jewish people all over the world saying, that's, that's not me. No, I think it's wrong. I think there should be a ceasefire. I think this needs to change. It is not right. It is not just. Those people are exercising a godly integrity in those moments and in those spaces. And all of us need access to that kind of spiritual energy. Our country, us as individuals, the more we are willing to own our whole story, the greater possibility that we have of living a life of integrity, the less time that we will spend switching out the masks, living in exhaustion and confusion about who it is that we are. Own your past, your mistakes, we have the grace of God, the ever-extending arms of Jesus that say, you are forgiven. You are my child. You are my beloved. You can walk back into these things. I kept my scars in the resurrection to show you this. Verse nine, hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. 
Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Another translation says, yet they lean upon the Lord and say, surely the Lord is with us. Uh, this, this, this conflict in Israel, it started, the most recent one in Israel and Gaza, it started in 1917. And it started with this uh, version of Zionism supported by the British government. And it was in a huge transition in a time in the world where the world was becoming post-colonial in a lot of ways, where Europe's colonization and other places' colonization of, of the world was shifting and changing and it was being overthrown and dismantled in lots of ways. And in this area here, this first century Palestine, now Gaza and Israel and those places, it had a 5% population of people of, of, of Jewish descent. And the rest were Palestinians. They were the, the, the people that lived there. They, they was their, their home. And since then has been war and bloodshed to make that place, to colonize it through different world powers for a group of people that is... It's so tied up, I won't say it's complex, it's not actually complex, tied up in some of the themes of the scriptures of the promised land and things like that, but most Zionists aren't even religious people. They don't even believe the Bible. But it makes sense that our country, our politicians, I don't care if Democrat or Republican, our country has been very supportive of this and very hypocritical in this way um, because I don't know if you guys know this, but when Jewish people were fleeing from the Holocaust in World War II, United States didn't let any of them in. You can't come here. Our history is mired in things that have to be dealt with and accepted. This passage says, look, if you build your nation with bloodshed and then you say the Lord is with us, no disaster will come upon us, that ain't gonna work. It's just, you're, you're just biding time. Because in the next verses, it says, therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. When you cannot integrate your past with your present, with who you want people to think you are, with who you actually are, owning your whole story, the result is destruction. So, Israel is a state. 
and it's responsible for its own crimes. Just as any other country, just as any other place. And this, and I'm coming to the end right here, this is a fundamental theological wound in the history of our country that in American Christianity has largely been taught that the ends justify the means. So you can build Zion with blood. You can build Jerusalem with injustice and destruction as long as you put a cross on top of it. You can build the whole cake with bloodshed, indiscriminatory violence toward a particular group of people, ethnic, racial group of people, as long as you sprinkle some Jesus on top. So all these young people are deconstructing because the ends don't justify the means. This is, the, this is the root of this sin issue with us as human beings. We have, as our God, a crucified Messiah. And we still think you can get from A to B by bombing people. Oh, let's, let's restore to Israel their home by bombing the people that live there. And somehow that's somehow Christian to do. Anybody know somebody who thinks like that, posts like that? The height of hypocrisy is to say I'm a Christian. I followed a crucified Messiah who says to walk in the way of the cross. And then to say we will get to the end. We will get to the, the telos, the conclusion of this by endorsing violence of any kind. So I want to leave you with these, these passages. One of Jesus's closest, if not his closest disciple, Peter, he wrote some epistles. And he was instructing, he wrote some letters to, to, the, to his church. And he was instructing them on how to live. And he quotes the Torah and he says in 1 Peter 1 through 15, First Peter chapter 1, verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holy doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without fault. It means set apart. It means that you act differently than the world. You have a different ethic. You have a different way of operating. You have a different belief than others do. And then uh, in, ver in chapter three, as he's explaining some of these things, he says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then in verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Our faith is about hope. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior, and they will, in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. <laughs> I love those moments in the Bible. It's like, yeah, that makes, that's, that goes without saying, I'd, I'd say. For Christ also suffered once for sins. You hear that? It's not a throwaway. It wasn't a one-time thing like Jesus died for our sins and now we just get to just go ham and run havoc all through the world. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous the, for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So it's okay if you suffer, you worship the God who suffered. So if we want a life of integrity, we can embrace that, we can connect to that, and we might find, we might find that if we step into that, if we begin to own our story, if we begin to take back the neglected, hidden parts of our lives, we might find that we do proclaim what Micah proclaimed, that the Spirit of the Lord, the power of the Spirit of God is on me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this table that we're about to come to and what it represents. That we all belong to one family in you, united in your sacrifice and your love and your redemption and your forgiveness for us. Let us come to the table with hopeful hearts this morning. Amen.